Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project, and I'm so excited to bring you another special guest, Dr. W. Franklin Richardson. Welcome, Dr. Richardson. I'm delighted to be here to share with you. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're going to talk about your new uh, book, a highly anticipated book. Uh, but before we get into that, tell our audience just a little bit about who you are. Well, I am... Um... I'm the senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, New York, and chairman of the Conference of National Black Churches, chairman of the National Action Network, and chairman of the board of Virginia Union University. That's a brief summary of my engagements, and uh, I'm delighted to be sharing with you today. Awesome. Well, you have a new book out. Um, Witness to Grace. Uh, what was the motivation uh, for you uh, writing writing this book? Well, I wrote the book because uh, I had come to. A, I've had a wonderful career. About uh, I've been pastoring for over fifty years, and I've been involved in so many many things. Uh, and I'd come to. I had a surgery, and when I finished the surgery, it was a major surgery. I decided that I needed to catalog my journey and make it available for the next generation so that they could benefit from my experiences as I have benefited from those who preceded me. So it's a mm-hmm. kind of like, a, I felt uh, uh, the book is paying it forward, an obligation to leave a reference to my pilgrimage. And not that I'm planning on leaving anytime soon, but I just wanted to make sure that that statement would be continuous. And so I, uh, in assessing what my life had been like, I the thing that most dominated my life, my, my perception and my reflection was that I had been a recipient of the favor of God mm-hmm. and I was a recipient of God's grace. So that so that's what got the name of the book, Witness to Grace, Testimony of Favor. And it is out of that prism of looking at my life, I have written this book and it is not just about faith. It's about multiple dis, uh, dimensions of, of my journey. It's about a young man starting out with uh, essentially nothing but love, uh, which is love is everything. Uh, but I started with very minimal resources and had obstacles along the way. But by God's grace, I am, as Paul says, I am what I am. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. One of the... Uh major um, themes in your life is social justice. Yeah. Um, what uh, what 
uh, begin the spark of passion for you in, around social justice? Well, I guess it started in my early days in ministry. Um, in 1967, I was a student at Virginia Union, and it was it was during the time when Martin Luther King was at the apex of his leadership in the nation for social justice and for civil rights. Uh, his engagement uh, thrust uh, the black church in the forefront of the fight for social justice. And I um, consequently was a young man developing in ministry. I never met Martin Luther King, but the impact of his uh, ministry and his leadership on the nation and on black communities really shaped what young pre developing preachers were becoming. Mm -hmm. uh, his, his view of a social gospel, a gospel that was relevant for the liberation and empowerment of African-American people was very, was very appealing uh, to me, and uh, I think in my in my journey, his impact really had a lot to do with a focus. I guess it also had to do with uh, coming to read the Bible through the prism of equality and social justice, and mm -hmm. that has been enhanced not only by the Kingian uh, philosophy, but by those that I had met in my on my journey at Virginia Union in undergrad. Um, people like Y.T. Walker, who was a mentor to me, who was uh, Martin Luther King's chief of, chief of staff, um, like that, people like that, who uh, Miles Jones and Jim Forbes, who were university pastors at the time, who had a, a, a penchant for social justice. So, I, you know, I, I think that all of us are the byproduct of the mentors that come in our lives. And, if we're, and if we're fortunate enough to get good mentors, it has a tremendous impact on the direction and and the vitality of our uh, contributions. Mm. That's awesome. So you have a, a lot of experience with protesting. Um, what what advice would you give to uh, my generation who uh, around protesting and and the work, the justice work today? Well, first of all, I want to congratulate your generation for. Uh, picking up the mantle and for taking it into a new area and to it and bringing fresh enthusiasm into it, no matter what uh, you what you call it, um, it's not called today uh, civil rights like Martin Luther King. It's today Black Lives Matter and, and other names. But it, but you can go back before Martin King and you got people fighting for social justice at Board of Education and um, uh, Brown versus Board of Education. You got people fighting for civil rights in uh, Harriet Tubman and in Frederick Douglass. This has been a long journey. It's a long journey. Uh, we have not reached our destination. We have made great progress. Uh, and so these young people, uh, like yourself, are picking up the mantle and carrying on the work. It is an intergenerational work. No one generation can solve or fix the consequences of racism for 400 years. It has stricken our people. Its consequences still restrict the progress and prosperity of black people in America. We still suffer from the presence of hate, the rise of, of uh, national, uh, white nationalism, uh, the rise of uh, fresh hate. Um, these anarchy groups uh, focused on 
uh, dividing us. So, yes, uh, I think your generation is on the right trail. I suggest um, when you ask me what do I what do I recommend, I recommend that, you know, you keep the fight. Uh, don't internalize your anger because that will defeat you. Uh, Martin King always talked about peace, peaceful protests. Uh, he always talked about acting acting in love even for the person who is obstructing your progress. Because mm. when you act in love, you don't allow yourself to be diminished. And you don't allow yourself to internalize hate. But hate, hate in you will destroy you. So you mm. have to be, uh, I want to encourage young people to stay engaged, to keep up the fight. Don't internalize their anger or their hate. But understand that the cause is is a cause that began before they were born, and it will be a cause that will be continuing after they are uh, gone, because we won't, I don't see us wiping this out uh, uh, all the way for, for a while. But, uh, but I think I'm encouraged by the progress. I'm not discouraged at all. I think we made great, we've had, we've had one step forward and a half step back, two steps forward, one step back. It's been that kind of thing, but could, when you put it all together, we have made great progress as a people uh, in the fight for equality in a country that had its base, its premise built on our inequality. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Um, as 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 you talked about it, I was thinking about the people who are uh, are in the fight now, and they may be discouraged. How has um, you been in it a long time? How have you kept? Um, how have you been able to keep going in the midst of discouragement? Well, what has driven me uh, is my commitment to ministry and my view of and my understanding of ministry. Uh, as I said to you earlier, I have viewed ministry as a uh, through the prism of social justice. I I believe that Jesus was on or was was a was a social justice activist and that God is on the side of the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it, for me, it is not a temporary thing. It's the highest form of, of worship mm. to, help, to help bring the world in line with what I understand Christ and God to want the world to be. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's a calling, it's a commitment. Uh, there's no such thing as quitting. We get tired, but we don't quit. We don't quit. Uh, we go to the end. We don't find, we don't have, we, we keep on going. We keep fighting as long as we can fight. Somebody mm -hmm. else picks up the fight. So it's not, uh, I have not been discouraged. I continue to be, I, I've won, I've lost uh, in, in my life, but but I've never been defeated. Mm. That's powerful. Um Thank you for that. That I think that's in, that's encouraging to to those who are listening. Um, as I was uh, starting to read through your book, uh, one of the the things that stuck out to me was the first chapter. Um, mm -hmm. You titled it "Mad at God," and um, I I love that you included that because you you talked about a family member saying you can't question God, yeah. um, and I think that's a lot of young people really uh, get frustrated by. Uh, some people in the church who told us you're not allowed to question God. Yeah. And um, how was, why did you think that was important to make the first chapter in your book? Well, because uh, that chapter uh, quickly shows people uh, that I'm not projecting some kind of uh, 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 goody two shoes, uh, righteous 
uh, perfection. Mm. Uh, but I'm a human being who has emotion and who, even as a pastor, has been disappointed and been uh, pushed to moments of challenge. And so I wanted to share that. I wanted to break. I wanted to break the ground at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And by sharing the fact that my walk with God has not been without question, it has been not without despair, it has not been without discomfort. It's had all those things. And, and in the opening chapter, I talk about how at one particular instance, I was disappointed in the way the Lord let things happen. But as mm-hmm. I, as you go through the book, you'll see that I look back over my shoulder and I see that it was the grace of God that he, he was working in my behalf and I did not, I was not aware of it. Uh, mm. but, but but I was uh, at that moment I was disappointed, and the reason why I talked about uh, not being male God, my grandmother had always told me my whole life, you know, don't 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 you never question God, you never question God, and uh, and she had authentic faith. But uh, what I have discovered is that when you have a question and you have a frustration, the only one who can answer it is God, mm. and so and God is able to. We don't have to protect God and we don't have to hide God from our questions. Mm-hmm. God is big enough to handle our questions, to handle our doubts, and to speak to our needs. Yes, that's great. And that's how we deepen our relationship with him yeah. because he always he already knows our questions. And I think about in relationships, your relationships thrive when you're able to ask questions of the person you're in relationship with and it deepens the relationship. So I'm so glad glad you included that um, in your book. Um, One other thing I know that you are passionate about is HBCUs. Um, Why are you so passionate about uh, historically black colleges? First of all, I don't know if they weren't for historically black colleges in Virginia Union in particular, I would, my life would be devastatingly different from what it is today. Mm. Uh, And I'll tell you quickly what that is, what I mean when I say that. I went to Philadelphia. I grew up in Philadelphia mm-hmm. in inner city schools, went to West Philadelphia High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got to the 10th grade, I was anticipating wanting to be a doctor. And I uh, went to my counselor, and my counselor told me that I wasn't college material. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that he probably was right because they had not prepared me to be college material. Back then, we had social promotion. If you didn't get in any trouble, you kept was a good fella you automatically get passed on to the next grade. Whether you had developed the competencies that the grade should have given you wasn't important. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he told me that, I was devastated. But I went on, uh, and I wasn't going to accept it. I went on to Westchester, I mean, West Philadelphia Community College. And when I got to the community college, they I flunked out the first year. Mm-hmm. And as I was trying to go forward in my ministry, my pastor told me, I told him I wanted to be a pastor and a minister. He he affirmed it. And I told him I had I had funked out of college. And so he said, no, you go on and apply at Virginia Union University. Mm-hmm. And I did. And Virginia Union accepted me on a conditional matriculation because I could not read. While I had while I had graduated from high school, I had not developed reading skills. Mm. And so Virginia Union said, we'll put you in a year remediation on conditional matriculation. And if you do well that year, you can stay. Mm-hmm. And I, I, long story short, I did and went on graduated from Virginia Union, graduated from 
Yale and graduate, earned a doctor's degree at United Theological Seminary and then went around the world and traveled. And 35 years later, the kid, the kid who had a, a, a conditional matriculation is now the chairman of the board of trustees of Virginia Union and every degree is signed with my signature on it. That's awesome. So it's the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And so I owe I owe so much to Virginia Union University. Not only the fact that they let me matriculate, but the fact that it was the first time I saw a black doctor or a black teacher in in my life was when I got to Virginia Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw black people in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. The, the president, the board of trustees, all of that was reaffirming. It was self, it was good for my self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And it motivated me. And 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 I tell you that uh, being black in America uh, brings with it a likelihood of a diminished self-esteem for black people. Mm-hmm. And HBCUs do a real good job, even today, in reinforcing damaged self-esteem caused by racism mm-hmm. in the United States of America. It, mm-hmm. it, help, it helps it helps young black students to overcome. And sometimes they're not even aware that they have the self-esteem deficiency and they're not even aware that the environment of the historically black college is helping them to get rid of it. And so that's why I think HBCs are very critical. Uh, the, the testimony is that more, we graduate more blacks in, than, than white schools do. White schools enroll more white, more blacks but they don't graduate more blacks. We do that. And mm-hmm. outstanding Americans, African-Americans in much of the uh, communities of our city have uh, been the products of HBCUs. And uh, there's nothing that in this book uh, on Monday, uh, this coming Monday, on uh, Cyber Monday, uh, we're upping the sales of the book. We reduced the price. And... Um, I have re- I have dedicated and don't am donating ten percent of all the proceeds to historically black colleges uh, through the UNCF and Virginia Union University. So uh, I there's nothing I can say. All I can do is say thank you. I have a chapter in my book that says how do you say thank you for these institutions that have made it possible for you to endure and to overcome and to achieve in the face of systemic racism for four hundred years. That's awesome. And I've witnessed uh, its power myself, my brother, uh, my youngest brother in high school. Uh, some of his uh, teachers and counselors were were giving him uh, not so favorable news about college. Uh-huh. And he enrolled at uh, Benedict yeah. um, in South Carolina and he excelled. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I mean, he was killing it uh, when he <laughs> got there and he graduated uh, and it just, I saw how he's, his confidence just shot through the roof yes, yes. Um, and how it really propelled him um, into all the things he, he wants to do now. Now he's planning on going to law school. And so it, if it had not been for Benedict, yes. um, he, I don't think he would have been able to excel in that way. So I, I think what you're sharing is powerful and I've, I've witnessed it with my, my own eyes. Um, how can we support, uh, how can our community do a better job of supporting HBCUs? Um, well, first of, advice you would give? first of all, we must overcome, we must, we must respond to the negative rhetoric that people are put forward that 
we don't need HBCUs anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing we have to stop. The statistics say uh, we do need HBCUs. The statistics say that uh, they serve a critical role in the formation of African-American leadership and competencies. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing is we must, we must, we must attack that rhetoric that uh, diminishes. Then secondly, we have got to uh, support historically black colleges with our money, our time, and our students. Um, we have to encourage our students to go to those institutions. We cannot afford at this moment in our history for the, the continual uh, dissolve of HBCUs. Mm-hmm. So we've got to financially support too many, too many students, too many of us who graduate from HBCUs think that we are satisfied. We've met, we've met our obligation because we've paid our tuition. Mm-hmm. When in fact, your tuition only pays a portion of your education. Mm-hmm. Your education is paid for by monies that grandma sends and, and, and the grandmothers of the world and corporations and churches give to these schools to keep them alive. Mm-hmm. And once you graduate, once you graduate, you have an obligation to, to, to pay back, to pay forward. Mm-hmm. I have to walk away and say, I got a degree and I, and I paid for it. You never paid for your degree. You, your, your tuition was only a contribution to the cost of your education. Mm-hmm. We, we have got to raise in our communities the expectation that we're going to support our colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. That's, that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, what was the most challenging um, chapter for you to write in this book? I think the most thing, the thing I was most challenged by was the epilogue. Mm. And the epilogue was a result of, I had finished the book and uh, I was ready to, for it to be released. And the pandemic had come and shut down publishers and uh, distribution networks. So the book was delayed. And in the delay, I began to reflect on the pandemic and on Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I would raise the question of God's grace in, the, in light of the pandemic. And my fundamental question was, could it be that the pandemic was an exercise of God's grace? Mm. In, the, in the pandemic, was this God's way of readjusting uh, reclaiming his creation mm. was it was it was it that God was calling us to reset mm-hmm. that maybe, is it possible that the corruption and the unequal distribution of wealth the misuse of the climate the misuse of of race and peoples the separation of nations could it be that this uh, DNA of our humanity was set? in such a place that when things got so bad, when we became so corrupt, when things became so out of balance, that they would kick in this virus that would make us relook at ourselves and mm. re-examine ourselves and, and, and recognize our vulnerability and recognize that the, the walls that separate people, uh, whether they are nations, whether they are class or race, are all fake walls. They are, they are they're, they're presented in, in our, in, by us. Uh, they're, 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 they're 
irrelevant and they are they don't they they they're imagination their social constructions and so uh the book was i was challenged by that chapter because i was pushed to look at what i had said about grace as being in all my life and how was grace functioning even in the pandemic because we saw in the pandemic revelations of things we had not considered we saw uh heights of compassion we had never seen mm-hmm. people who were willing to give their lives to save other people we saw institutions rise up and start feeding the hungry we saw mm-hmm. a lot of positive things in the midst of this serious situation we saw healthcare workers and doctors and nurses put themselves on the line mm-hmm. we saw all kinds of expression as we watched the procession of our of our uh loved ones go to the cemetery and and couldn't get in cemeteries for three all of those things shaped our focus mm-hmm. the question becomes for us having come through the pandemic or having go, or going through and when we get to the end will we will we just simply simply start over or will we start again mm-hmm. that will be the question we have to ask will we will we continue to be like we were or will there be a fresh and new beginning as we go into the frontier of the future that's a really great question. Um, I'm looking forward to see how people uh, answer that um, in the coming days. Uh, what was the easiest or most enjoyable chapter for you to, to write? I think the early days, the occasion to reflect when I was a child, my mm-hmm. parents to visit. My Both, both my parents have gone to the silent city, and I, I kind of uh, enjoyed revisiting what it was like growing up with uh, challenges, with their faithful escort of faith and love. I had a great chance of, you know, it gave me a chance to revisit the early formations of my life, the things that affected me that maybe not until I wrote the book that I really sat down and think about those, how they impacted on who I am today. So that was a really refreshing uh, point of the book to be able to go back to my earliest years, visit my youngest recollections and move from there to revisit uh, the journey that I've been on for the last several years. That's awesome. Um, As we bring this interview to a close, is there anything about the book that we haven't discussed that you want our audience audience to know uh, that you think would be uh, pertinent information? Well, well, I think that, that there are several aspects to the book. First of all, naturally it's available to people who are finding themselves in the early stages of their career, their careers. I also mm-hmm. talk about uh, how uh, a, a, a global account awakening. Uh, that, that's something I talk about. I talk about my role with social justice and the many struggles I've had in the fight for freedom and equality. I talk about uh, the challenges of, of, of uh, going to college, the political challenges that came uh, within my denomination. So. It, it's a, it's a book, not just for pastors, but it's a book for people who want an insight into how I have seen and, and, and recognize the grace of God functioning in my life. And it has been wonderful. I, I, I served on corporate boards and, and my involvement on corporate boards has been to empower people uh, in our communities, make sure that these boards who receive our money don't just get our money, but give us opportunity to climb the C-suites of corporations and to be hired, make sure that uh, to challenge them. So it's been a wonderful journey. And uh, I think 
the book is broadly appealing because it speaks of a lot of issues and it and it's in the in the, in the in the language of uh, celebration. That's awesome, and I encourage you all to get witness witness to grace and make sure you get it this Monday because this Monday, um, as you mentioned, Dr. Richardson, ten percent of the proceeds will be going back to um, Virginia Union. Am I am I correct? Virginia Union and historic and UNs. So it's Virginia Union and HBCUs. It's not just Virginia Union. So okay. Bearing half of the proceeds to Virginia Union and half to UNCF. That's awesome. So make sure you you can get the book and get the resource and also support uh, HBCUs at the same time. And that's an amazing, one day, amazing thing. It's a one day uh, reduction in cost uh, for Cyber Monday. So normally the book sells for $27. It's on sale for $16.95 on Monday. Mm-hmm. And that's at witness2grace.com. No, you can get it at oh. Amazon. Amazon, I'm sorry. Yeah, one time on Amazon because we wish we also want to make it a bestseller, so it's got to be counted. <laughs> so definitely go to Amazon and get Witness to Grace. Thank you so much for sharing a, a little bit of your story with us, and also uh, this book. And just uh, this has been a, a great interview. It's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you all for li- watching another episode of the G Three Project podcast. Remember, you can get all our resources or donate at G Three projectorg And remember, here at the G Three Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jude3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jude3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jude3Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.